What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies podcast. Today, our guest is Scott Price from Bonvolo Ventures. Today, we're going to talk about a lot of his journey and his strategies that he uses as a real estate investor who is financially independent. He left his W-2 job by investing in real estate with the long-term in mind. He's going to go through that story for us, so I'm not going to tell you about it right now. You'll get to hear it from Scott directly. For those of you who do not know, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, a real estate syndicator. I buy multifamily real estate with passive investors and split the returns. And I'm also a busy professional just like you. I love talking about investing, real estate investing, and sharing my knowledge that I've built up uh, with the rest of you. I love learning these things alongside you as well. Thank you for tuning in. Once again, our guest is Scott Price from Bonvolo Ventures. There's a lot of fantastic information in this one, especially if you're somebody who is investing for the long term, building that financial independence. This is the interview to listen to. Without further ado, here we go with Scott Price from Bonvolo Ventures. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Taylor. I appreciate it. Happy to talk with you. You have some very cool experience in your background and just want to talk about your story today and, and we can, I think we can learn a lot of lessons out of your story. So, you know, let's get into it. Talk us through the big strokes and, you know, we'll drill into the details. Sure. Yeah. So for me, real estate started a number of years ago and it started with researching how do people live well financially and independently and and i was reading all kinds of research and you know i was reading magazines and books and all and you know the classic kiyosaki stuff and all those kinds of things and uh and really just you know dabbled in other things stocks and other kinds of investments but really real estate was the one that that made sense to me and or the most sense i should say and it seemed to be the most reliable way to achieve objectives include not just in terms of making money but also uh, living an independent lifestyle so it wasn't just about money it was also about you know okay how can i how can i create passive income how can i create a team of people that are working with me so that you know but in, in helping my income and my net worth you know those kinds of things so I, um, I started out with my very a number of years ago, I started out with uh, one condo that I bought and then I moved into a house and I kept it. So that was my very first rental. And I, uh, the first tenant was great. The second tenant sucked and I sold it. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I actually started dabbling in other stuff. I said, Oh man, this real estate thing's terrible. You know? And, uh, so I then, started realizing the error of my ways. And I, I realized that in that case, what I really needed was a professional property manager to have been a buffer between me and that person. And it all would have been good. And I, I wish to this day, I still own that condo, you know, but <laughs> and knowing what I know now, you know, yeah. but, um, so I, I then got into a development deal on the home that I lived in and I won't rabbit hole on that one. It was a very complicated deal, but I added considerable value to the property. And by doing that, I was able to start to jump in into my real plan, which was to get back into real estate, but to do it, to start doing it right. I was still early on learning a lot, but to start doing it right. 
And uh, I actually got my broker's license at that time because I just wanted to completely immerse myself in the, in the world of real estate. And, uh, and I, I jumped in, I would say, a little bit bigger than I would recommend to people because I would say my first investment, which I'm kind of discounting that, that little condo I mentioned, uh, was a 29 unit. And it wow. wasn't a simple one. And so I took all the profits I made from the development deal that I did on my own property residence. And I actually moved into a home that was lower value, lesser neighborhood, the whole deal. And I said, I'm full in on this real estate thing. So I bought a lesser home, but I took my money and I put it into real estate. And um, I still own that property today. I'll, I'll probably talk about it later, actually. But uh, uh, then that got me on the path. And uh, my my goal and role was to uh, work a, a W-2 job where I was relying on the W-2 income for all of my bills and benefits and all that kind of stuff uh, so that none of my investing income was being used, you know, for personal mm -hmm. purposes. And I actually had, we live pretty simply, so I actually had extra income from W-2 plus I had all my rental income. And I started the process of, of rolling profits forward. And uh, that was a combination of using income from, from properties that I started buying and then basically snowballing it. And, uh, and then also when I had opportunities to do things like cash out refis, if I had any uh, equity built up enough that I could get some cash out, I would again roll it back into new properties and just steadily kept doing that. And uh, I, I would say I stayed in my in W two world longer than I needed to, but I think it's part of my conservative nature, basically. And the advantage was that yeah, it was a lot easier to get loans, and it was you know I had the benefits, and uh, I was able to get more properties, you know. So th there were benefits to it. And uh, yeah, and then over over time, I've uh, accumulated a multifamily office and retail and some singles along the way and uh, mostly a buy and hold investor at this point. And uh, although I have sold a few recently just because you know prices are kind of ridiculous and when somebody offers me a ridiculous <laughs> price on something I own, I'll, I'll say, hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay that for my property, but if you will, you can have it. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> and, I, and then uh, I, I just a couple years ago, I left my uh, uh, W2 job, which was actually real estate related with a technology company. It was kind of an interesting mix. And, uh, and now full, full time on my uh, real estate investing business since. Cool. So thank you for that. And I'd like to put a few dates on this. We'll just, uh, we'll let that initial condo, we'll just set right. that off to the side and forget about that one. Yeah. But when you bought that 29 unit, uh, what year was that? Was that before or after the yeah. great recession? You know. Before it was 2005. So uh, I can, so, and that's when I consider my real investing uh, phase to have started. <laughs> so yeah, 2005, uh, I, st I, I kept buying other types of properties. Uh, and then during the downturn, I, I definitely was one of those folks who took advantage of it. And, uh, you know, I didn't run the other way. I ran in and I'm you know, like anybody who did it that during that time is glad about that now. And uh, really just kept, kept purchasing as I would find good cash flowing properties that were in markets that I had researched and felt comfortable with in terms of their long-term prospects on job growth, demographics, renter demand, things like that. Yeah. Well, at that point when the great recession happened and you were 
probably still relatively new as a real estate investor, I would say. And everybody's panicking, everybody's rushing out and the sky is falling, everything. How did you keep a cool head and just say, look, I'm going to keep buying because these deals are great. How did you not, you know, run with the crowd and sell a 29 unit, mm -hmm. and, you know, get out of it? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing, both before the recession, as well as during and somewhat after the recession is I've always been a cash flow buyer, always. And so even when things are running up before and when they're running up now, uh, I, I'm not an appreciation player. And you know, some people made a lot of money on that and, I'm, and I've likely missed out on some great deals by not playing that game. But the flip side is that when the recession came, you know, I hear these stories of the speculator investors and stuff who lost everything and were wiped out. And I did fine. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was very comfortable. I, you know, I had my cash flowing properties and their market value went down. But, you know, as they say, market value counts twice when you buy and when you sell. And I wasn't selling and I had already bought, you know. So it's really a matter of whether or not they, they were cash flowing and they were. Uh, so I had enough confidence in the economy that, you know, we weren't, it wasn't apocalyptic, you know, the zombies weren't coming or anything like that. And yeah. so we, you know, it, even though there was a big downturn, there was still a demand, especially in singles and, and multis for, uh, for places for people to live. You know, I mean, yeah, I understand the household mix has changed and people were, yeah, there, was, there was a lot going on, but there was still demand. There would continue to be demand, uh, which turned out, of course, to be the case. It's been, you know, it, it, the demand has been incredible and it's still incredible. So I just bought, I bought on that demand and uh, got, uh, got some good deals then. And, you know, it's harder and harder in the current market. I'm, I'm still buying when I can, but, it, you know, it's it, it, in, the, in a market like today, the, the, the balance point nowadays is finding a good enough deal that still is a true cash flow deal, which is getting harder and harder nowadays. Uh, and but balancing that with still getting in the game and playing. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, so I, you know, I, you've um, one of the terms that you know when we talked before. One of the terms you seem to like to use in this context is snowballing, getting a snowball going so that the portfolio builds the income builds and then you eventually have enough coming in so that as you've done recently you can leave that w2 what are you seeing today i mean prices are high but i don't know whether you're you know pointing newer investors in any particular direction but what do you think about that and people who are starting to get their snowball going now and you know what they can do to still be building that snowball, even though, you know, prices might be high today. Right. Yeah. The, the, the biggest challenge today is if that snowball is dependent on cash flow. Uh, if you set up, if you're buying and if you can find a deal that has equity in it, then you're more likely to be able to get your snowball going by, by building equity, either by repositioning a property, doing some value add, you know, even though a lot of those properties have been picked over nowadays, but you know, nonetheless, assuming that you can find those and, and then actually cashing out that, you know, doing some kind of a refinance to get that back out, then rolling it into your next one. Just because the you know the general cap rates and the general cash flow is so 
low nowadays that uh, that part of the snowball is, isn't nearly as good as it used to be, you know, just as a generalization. Um, so you've really got to really be focusing, if you're trying the snowball, you've got to be focusing on your equity side nowadays. Unless you're, I mean, there's certainly, you know, to every broad generalization, there's, there are exceptions. I mean, you know, there are still some, in the Midwest, there's still some really good markets that you can find good cash flow and all this kind of stuff and more risk there, but, but nonetheless. Um, but yeah, I, I would say to, to focus on your, your value add opportunities to help you snowball. Keep, keep what you buy but get the value out and refi and then, and then snowball that way, you know, and make sure that they're in a strong market so that if, and when there's a downturn, the likelihood of rents going down is, is minimized. And, you know, there's never a guarantee, but you know, like in the last downturn, the, the market valuations went down, but the rents generally didn't go down or they went down very little and then they bounced back up and that's what you want, you know? So, you know, if it's lower value, lower price, but higher income or the same income, then, then you can skate through and you, know, you still need to have that kind of mindset now. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, it seems like, so you went from multifamily to, office and medical and retail and a lot of other types of investments. Was that mainly driven by the numbers? And you also brought up a great point about locations. I mean, you're in a, you're living on Whidbey Island outside of Seattle, which is a particular market. I, I, don't, I don't know how long you've been there, but you know, do you invest remotely? Clearly you've made a decision at a certain point that, okay, I can't keep buying these you know, 29 odd units multifamily deals, I got to branch out a little bit. So what was that like? Yeah. So part of the, the overall vision, so to speak, you know, for where I wanted to take it was to always be able to build an outsourced team. So we're, we're a small outfit. It's just me and my wife. Uh, my wife was able to leave her job about, you know, five years ago and she's also full-time in our business. And, uh, you know, other than that, we outsource everything. So I'm talking about, you know, things, especially things like property management and contractors, uh, you know, the maintenance folks on site, all that kind of stuff. And so by, by building that, we could look at good markets that were independent of where we lived. So, you know, I, I, want, to, I want to live in my favorite spot and I don't want to be limited to what I can drive to within 15 minutes. And I, I get that idea, especially for people who are hands-on property managers. Uh, personally, not only is that not my forte for, you know, I feel like I'm pretty good at almost the entire beginning to nuts to bolt, nuts and bolts, you know, beginning to end process. But the property management part is a certain specialty. They own, the, they, they, they own that process. They, they earn their money. And, um, I, you know, I frankly don't want to deal with that. And, uh, and that's good because the other thing is that, you know, people who do manage their own properties, there's good experience in that to an extent. And I have done that. And actually we, we manage a few of our properties, but they're triple net properties. So they, which is for, uh, 
listeners who don't know what that means, it's basically a commercial property where the the uh, the tenant takes care of everything, <laughs> the, the maintenance and the uh, property taxes, insurance, things like that. And so those are easy to manage. So we manage those. But um, but by doing that, uh, we can we can then consider other markets and how far away they are is not is not a an issue or a question. I still need to be able to visit them, but I don't need to be there every day. So right now we're we're through. We have uh, properties in multiple markets throughout Washington State. Um, I've only owned out of state once actually. So and I sold that when it was a forty unit in uh, Memphis. And uh, so, uh, but at the same time, some of the properties are, you know, five hour, six hour drive away. So I'm not stopping by on a daily basis and that's fine. And that allows me to scale. That's the other thing. You know, if you, if you, if, if you're not setting up your processes so that others are doing the property management and if you're doing the property management, you're always going to be limited on how many properties and units that you can personally manage. Yeah. That's interesting that you, uh, you, mainly have focused on investing in Washington state <laughs> other than that one property in Memphis sounds like, uh, I don't know. How did that property in Memphis go? There must be a reason that you decided not to continue investing there. Right? Yeah. Uh, that was an interesting one. I, and I, I've only sold a couple properties recently. I sold a couple office buildings and I sold that, that 40 unit and uh, and both for the same reason, because you know somebody paid more than I think they were worth. But uh, but at the same time, uh, the 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 specific one in Memphis was interesting. I, in retrospect, I still wish I own it. I owned it. I, I wish I hadn't sold it. But at the same time, uh, and that was just a couple years ago that I, or a year and a half ago, I think that I sold it. And but the reason I sold that was I basically a horrific property management experience. And that one, uh, was a, uh, and because it was so far, it made it a little bit more difficult. What actually happened was I, when I figured out that they were literally lying, cheating, stealing in a very literal sense, uh, unfortunately. And I, you know, I, I was on them. So I, you know, I, I was monitoring and it's, and, and I could figure out, pretty quickly that something was going wrong. And I, I actually hired a security firm. I hired an inspector to go check on things. I, I created tenant liaisons to, to, in other words, relationships with directly with tenants so I could get an idea of exactly what was going on. And this is in a pretty fast cycle I'm talking about here because as soon as I realized something's, something's amiss here, I, I started uh, getting my spies essentially, got confirmation and then, okay, I'm on a plane down there to do two things, fire them and hire a, a new property manager. And it just so happened that as I was in process of, and I had selected the new property manager and I think things would have actually gone well with them uh, from everything I've heard about the, the, the group, the new group I had selected, but uh, it just so happened. I met with the broker who sold it to me in the first place. We met for lunch and he showed up with a folder and, uh, and he slides this folder across the desk and he says, I got something like you to take a look at. And I opened it up and it was a, it was an offer that I had not even asked for, you know, and, um, and it was good enough that we made, you know, good money just to profit. And of course it was nice and easy timing for us. I, not that I would have run, ran away from it. I was completely ready to, you know, 
keep going and all that kind of stuff. But it was, he, he certainly provided that at a perfect time. <laughs> so I think maybe he knew that, you know, that it's like, oh yeah, this is a pain in the butt for Scott right now. So let, let's see if we'll take this offer. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was appealing enough that I, I certainly accepted it. Yeah, it was maybe an offer that you might not have accepted had everything been going very well at the time, but it was still a, would have been an attractive offer, but maybe not quite compelling enough to to force really get you to sell if everything had been going swimmingly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, and, and another way to look at it is I had no intention of listing it. You know, I, I, I was. It wasn't for sale, but it was kind of like, oh, okay. Well, that's that's a nice number. That's higher than what I paid for it, and I'll, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. That'll make things easy. Then I'll go back to Washington. Yeah. But I, because of I say all that, but uh, I am looking out of state now again, and it's primarily because like across the country, but they're, you know, the, the cap rates or the, the, you know, cash on cash returns are just getting so compressed across the country, but they're especially getting compressed in places in, in Washington. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at more cash flowing markets, you know, in, in other places right now. So I very well may be, may be going outside of state again here soon. So as you're looking for new markets to invest in and you're, presumably picking like a couple, maybe one to go after, what, you know, criteria are you using when you're selecting a market? Because there are, I'm sure there are a lot of people who live in the Seattle area or, you know, Southern California or New York City area that would love to invest remotely, but they haven't the foggiest idea of how to even pick a market. So what do you, what do you do? Yeah. How do you look at it? Yeah, yeah, we actually are have a, a a I would call it a funnel approach, and you know, I literally have it written down. It's a it's a top level to to minutia level kind of process, and and when I actually, for instance, if I receive a property from someone broker off market, whatever whatever it is. I'll do some very quick, literally two minute back of the napkin kind of financial estimate to say, is this even worth looking at? Mm -hmm. Most of them aren't worth looking at and I just stop there. But if it is worth looking at, then I, I then I jump to the top and the top is your question uh, of, you know, is this market something that is interesting to, to look at? So I'm I'm starting real high level and I'm actually always always researching and looking at uh all the big the big analyst reports the you know and and it's 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 a it's a it's a mix of stuff from wherever uh, IRR Marcus and Millichap CBRE and all these kinds of places that's always interesting but then you also get all the other classic frankly subjective lists but they're interesting to, to look at to see you know the top 10 t places for tech workers to move to you know, the, you know those <laughs> kinds of places and start looking for patterns and uh, and then the ones that are are repeatedly floating to the top then I start doing more of a deep dive on specifics. So for specifics, I'm looking at uh, population growth. Not uh, that, that's the biggest issue with some of, for instance, the the higher cap rate, better cash flowing Midwest markets. Uh, you know, so you can you might have decent cap 
cap rates, especially for today at least, but they may have, uh, they may have essentially people who are leaving, <laughs> more people who are leaving than are coming in, you know? So in general, I try to avoid those kinds of places. But uh, so looking at uh, population, looking at local economic drivers, uh, who's, who's moving in in terms of not only, not only the people and the renters, but also the companies that are moving in, looking at employment, uh, and then also looking at the overall plan that the local government has. I mean, is it is it vibrant? Does it does it have uh, does it have forward momentum to it? You know, is the infrastructure crumbling, or are they doing a really cool thing down on the riverfront that people really want to go to, and you know, it's hopping on the weekends? You know, that that kind of thing. And um, so, if something looks really interesting at a very high level, then then I start, I start going, going uh, level by level down. And what I mean by that is, okay, got your MSA kind of level uh, review and then get down to the neighborhood review. You know, where, where, where are the uh, places that are, uh, are, are gentrifying or where are the places that uh, they're on the edge and it looks like they're in the path of progress, you know, those kinds of things. Then I'm looking at a whole bunch of parameters, you know, things like uh, income, crime, uh, transportation routes, uh, just uh, literally I've got this massive list of, of things and uh, we, we have it, we have a written in, in documents. We've also got it in Excel that we, uh, we, if we're looking at something we haven't looked at before, um, between my wife and I, we sign them out. So one of the columns is Scott does this and Karen does that. You know, we actually just do, 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 and then we get together and we compare our you know, results. But I go from the top down until I get to a no. And if I get to something that does not meet my criteria, you know, too high a crime or it's trending in the wrong direction or, or whatever, uh, I don't keep going. I don't, I don't waste my time. And, uh, and then if, I, if it passes all of these initial criteria, then getting then I actually start looking at the property, <laughs> but it's got to pass all those filters up at the top, you know, first. And, uh, and then it's a whole different, you know, well, I should say in terms of level of minutia and intensity, it's a whole different review process when you get down to the, the property itself. So you have a lot of, uh, uh, data driven minutia, I would say, or, or numbers, uh, hmm. data driven minutia, if you will. But how does the, qualitative factor of just driving by the property, driving in the neighborhood, how does that impact your decision process? Does it, is it, you know, maybe it's a little relevant, but not really, it's, well, I'm basing this on the numbers or can everything be great in the numbers up until the point you drive past it and you're like, once you drive past it, you're just like, okay, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, there's certainly a subjective element, no doubt about it, but part of that uh, yeah, I'm certainly not entirely numbers driven, and it's partly, I would say, related to, for instance, some of those subjective lists kind of thing. It's like, you know, where is this cool or not? <laughs> you know, is it uh, is it a place that people want to live? Uh, you know, those kinds of things, which really get more into the subjective realm, and uh, I do. And the nice thing is, with things like, even if it's remote, at first I will start with something like Google Street View. 
or something like that. And, uh, and I will do a virtual drive around. And if I, you know, Oh, this, this looks, uh, this, this looks great. And then I spin it around 180 degrees and there's this smoke billowing out of this, you know, chemical plant, you know, kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> then, Oh, okay. That doesn't, you know, it's not quite as good and I'll probably pass. So it's, um, yeah, there, there's certainly, and it, it depends upon the, the type of property, of course. I mean, if it's an A property versus a C property, you know, the, the subjective elements, or at least what you're willing to accept uh, may, may change, you know, based on, based on that as well. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And regarding your first kind of foray into uh, commercial real estate, which was not commercial multifamily, getting into your first like triple net property. What was that like? I mean, most people, vast majority of real estate investors out there might own a handful of units and most never, I hate to use this word about it, but no, most never graduate to triple net property. So what was that like getting into that? It sounds like you got into it maybe kind of soon in your investing career too early. Sure. Yeah. I, I have done fairly extensive research on practically every asset class out there. Uh, there's, there's some that I have not purchased yet and I would like to, and there are others that I have not purchased yet and I don't intend to, <laughs> you know? So, um, and then there's the multifamily office and retail that I have you know, direct and singles that I have direct experience in. And the, basically I, I got to the point where there were certain fundamentals with a triple net property that I felt comfortable with. And for instance, what, when like, I'll take an example of a medical office building that, that I own. The, the main thing that I was looking at was who is the next tenant? That's the, that's the, biggest thing for me with any triple net property because I'm looking at the current tenant. I, I don't buy vacant potential triple net properties. Whenever I bought them, they've always had a good tenant in place with a long range lease. Uh, so I kind of start out good. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's a nice solid way. It's also a much easier way to get financing as well. And so I start out with that, but the biggest risk on commercial, uh, meaning office and retail, is whenever they're done their five-year lease, or it could be longer, like you know, one of mine has a 10-year lease and you know, things like that, but let's say a five-year lease, whenever they're done, if they don't re-up, then who's moving in there? And it's a whole different ballgame than multifamily because people need a place to live. It's a little bit more, I would say, of a commodity, uh, in other words, you, if, if you have a lot of vacancy in your multifamily and your place is outdated or something, but if you, if you bring your rent down a little bit, to a little bit below market or something, you can generally get it filled as long as you've got a strong general market, you know, as far as population and employment. However, that's not the case with office and retail. You've got to have somebody who wants that location and they want that they want the existing tenant improvements or you're going to have very expensive tenant improvements you got to put in. Uh, they, they need that size. They need that exposure. Uh, they need that uh, the, the general ambiance of you know, how they want to represent themselves to the world, you know, all that kind of stuff. And 
and it's not a place that people live. It's a, it's a, it's a business. And, and, and also in economic downturns, they can get hit harder. So I started focusing mostly on that element. There are a lot of other parts too, but thinking about, okay, does this have the location and the adaptability that if this tenant leaves, I'm very confident that I can find somebody else to fill it. And I'm looking at what's local, how many uh, comparative uh, vacancies are there are in the area, you know, things like that. And once I got, and I, like anything, a lot of my, I did not buy, but, uh, but the ones that I, that met all my criteria in triple I was very comfortable with, and I, I still own them. And even though I hadn't purchased any, uh, you know, once you get in and once you have some good tenants, they're easier than multifamily. So <laughs> a lot easier, you know, you, they, not only do you have long range leases, uh, but, and, and generally you have businesses there who are just generally some businesses can go out of business. So it's never a guarantee, but generally they're more with it. You know, meaning, and what I mean by that is that, you know, they're more with it on their accounting. You get the check every single month and they take care of things and it's to their benefit to make sure that your place looks great because it's their representation of the world of their business. Uh, Whereas you don't get that quite as much in, in, in multifamily, you can, and I've, I've known a number of tenants who actually, you know, take pride in taking care of their area and all that kind of stuff. So again, there's a lot of generalizations here, but, uh, but the, the, the triple net, uh, after you get through your initial process and if you can get your financing and if you can get a lender to think, to believe in you and things like that, it, after a while, it's actually easier. Interesting. So one of the things that strikes me about this is it's, Generally speaking, you know, your triple net properties are going to be a higher dollar figure, just property to buy. I mean, you got to bring cash to the table to buy it and, and all that. You mentioned earlier that you don't sell, but you refinance. So as you have those snowballing uh, multifamily rentals going, are you refinancing those to acquire the triple nets? Are you bringing in investors or what are you doing to buy them? Yeah. Uh, so I have, I've refied on all types of properties. Uh, so, you know, so it, it really, it's an, it depends kind of, kind of answer. <laughs> I, I've also, on the ones that I've sold, I've uh, done some 1031s, but again, that's only been a few properties. So, you know, I've done 1031 exchanges into other properties. So, but to answer your question directly, yeah, especially with uh, some of the multifamilies, uh, like I'll give you an example. I, I refinanced one recently and I put real long-term uh, debt on it and, uh, and yeah, use, use those funds to be able to actually get involved in a number of different investments. So um, yeah, it was, it was really, uh, it really, it, it's, you can refi, you can potentially refi and potentially cash out refi any type of property. So it just depends on how, if it's appreciated, how much mm. it is appreciated. Since I'm so, a cash flow buyer, essentially the appreciation is the cherry on top. So I don't rely upon it, but when it comes, I take advantage of it. Okay. So, but, but to acquire these triple net properties, you're still acquiring them all yourself, you and your wife, you're not bringing in investors or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually, there are actually a number of investors have reached out to me and I'm, I am uh, planning on uh, doing some syndications coming up, but uh, I haven't had a need to uh, just because of rolling profits forward and, you know, to, and that's fine. So, uh, you know, it's just me and the bank, you know, which is nice, you know, it's, uh, 
uh, so at least all the all the profits, uh, you know, for for the properties I own, it, you know, it's just you know income to me. Um, so at the same time, to get bigger and to grow, you know, there's a limiting factor to that. So uh, really, especially now that for a couple of years I've been completely full time, and now I have the time to devote to making sure that things go well for other investors. You know, it's, it's again, part of my conservative nature as well. You know, I, if I'm going to take somebody else's money, that's a big responsibility. So mm -hmm. um, the biggest issue now is actually, I, like I said, I have investors who want to invest with me, but I, I'm, I'm actually the bigger issue now is finding the deals. <laughs> so just in the current market, you know, to make them appealing. And that's why I'm, I'm considering looking out of, uh, out of state again so that uh, we can find the those really appealing returns that uh, everybody will be intrigued by yeah but it also sounds like you're a very patient guy which is to your advantage in a in the more expensive market you're not going to do deals just to do deals you're going to hunt down exactly. the good ones yeah yeah and i should i should actually clarify something i have i have worked with other investors on the debt side so uh so some folks uh, in other words it's not a classic equity syndication it's been uh, debt investors and i've used them uh, or i mean use their funds to uh to be able to get into deals quick where there was a need for a quick turnaround uh and some of them I've even even held on to the loans uh, much longer than I needed to because the investors love the steady, consistent, dependable income, and then I just got to have more cash sitting around, you know, <laughs> to use on other properties, so, and they were happy with it, and I was happy with it. Nice, a good old hard money loan, cash, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but the the nice thing, yeah, but uh, I mean, I I I'm not in that case. It, w it wasn't like the the classic twelve percent, you know, hard money loan, uh, you know, due in six months kind of thing. It was, uh, uh, you know, still a good interest rate, but not that high. But it was very consistent and it was long term, and they were, you know, very very happy with it. Nice, nice. So we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Scott, I've got three rapid fire questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am. All right. First one, what is the best investment you've ever made? All right. So I, I listened to your show, so I know what the three questions are. <laughs> so I am going to answer your first and second question. Uh -oh. uh, All right. With, Here with we go. The, with, the same, with the same property. Oh. <laughs> About wor best and worst. So, and I'll explain what I mean. So the, the best property that I ever purchased was actually the one that I already described, the 29 unit that I, that I uh, bought initially. And the reason was that I, I came in, uh, did it, got involved, jumped in with both feet, and it got my snowball rolling. In other words, I took a bigger risk. I took action, not just buying a little single and then kind of gradually growing. I started with something a little bigger than I'm, again, I might recommend, but <laughs> got into it and I still own that property today, you know, and, and by simply by appreciation, I mean, I, I did invest back in the property, but it wasn't some big value add or anything like that. You know, it's, it's been delivering, um, mostly every once in a while I got capital expenses, no doubt about it, but uh, mostly steady income that 
is, you know, frankly, on a monthly basis, it's you know, more than some, you know number of people make, <laughs> you know, I mean, just from that one property. Nice. And um, yeah, and, you know, it's doubled in value. And, uh, you know, again, that's not in that time frame. That's not like some, some, you know, who, uh, huge, uh, you know, uh, home run or anything, but that's fine. That, that's, that's great. It, you know, it got me started and, uh, and I jumped in, still had it and, uh, uh, I mean, still have it. And, uh, and, and it's, it's been a, it, you know, gradually increasing, basically ride the inflation train kind of, kind of property. And as the rents have increased, it's, it's been good. It's been a good one to, I, I got, uh, I was able to cash out from that one, reinvest. It's been, you know, monthly income, the whole deal. So, so there's that now. Uh, to 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 jump to what's the worst? <laughs> Here we go. The what's worst the, investment. Yeah, what's the worst investment? I uh, I would also, in some ways, say the same property. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, I got I got schooled in a big way, and like I and it was a serious learning lesson. If I went back to two thousand five and bought that and and knew what I knew now, I wouldn't have bought it. Um, and I would, I would have bought something else. And the things that I learned were invaluable. So that's a positive, but you know, just learning that the, the difference between physical occupancy and economic occupancy, when a seller, you know, stuffs a, 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 an apartment complex full of people, uh, as opposed to pairs, uh, you know, rent, renters, you know, oh, yeah. I, I learned what that was real quick. I also, uh, you know, learned about, uh, older properties and the, the capital needs of that. I mean, you know, if it hadn't been for my W2, there was a period, a short period of time, uh, where it, that I was feeding that property. It was, it wasn't, that, it didn't go that long, but I, in other words, it was not bringing income to me. I was actually feeding it from my W2 jobs and my personal savings. You know, I mean, it, I had, no, I, I went kind of high end. I got a, you know, very nice commercial roof, but I had $100,000 bill on a new roof. And you know, that's, you know, if you don't have that sitting around, that's, that's kind of unexpected. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, there was, there were some plumbing issues and, and it's stuff that the inspector doesn't necessarily find or they're not visible or things like that. So it was, it was a serious learning experience and, uh, you know, everything from learning how to, you know, work with a, property manager to how do you deal with flat roofs to you know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, in that respect, it was, uh, especially that, that time frame where I had to float that property, it was, it was the worst, uh, worst one. But, it, but again, I rode the inflation train. I stuck it out. I didn't make the same mistake that I made with that first condo where I gave up. It was the opposite. I stuck with it and I'm very happy to have it out. I get through the rough patch you know, to, to get to here. Nice, nice. So, as you know, if you're a listener of the show, my favorite question, the last question. So, what is the most important lesson that you've learned in investing? Sure. For for me, it's it's about concentrating on the risk. And again, that's perhaps my conservative style, but I concentrate on the risk and the upside comes along afterwards as a benefit. So 
when I'm looking at a, at a property or again, even at the market level, but uh, when I'm looking at a specific property, I'm not initially focused on upside. I'm focused on all the potential things that could go wrong or what might make the business plan or the pro forma not actually occur. And yeah, I've probably given up, uh, you know, I probably passed on some deals that in the end, you know, some of those concerns didn't come to be and they were great deals and all that kind of stuff. But the flip side is that, that, over time, uh, over time, all of my investments have been successful. And as I've learned, like from that first, you know, 29 unit, uh, as I've learned, they become more and more successful because of that filter. And, and there's, and there's a couple specific ways to implement that kind of approach. I mean, you know, it's not only about looking at the market and looking at the, the property itself, but it's, it's taking those high level things like what I mentioned about I'm a cash flow buyer personally, which is hard in the current market, but at the same time, I'm, I'm sticking to that. And again, that, you know, that got me through 2008 to 2010 just fine. And I'm also putting long-term debt. Uh, like, like when I do these refis, if I can, and you know, for commercial lending, you don't get 30-year fixed. You know? So you know, most of them are five-year fixed and uh, maybe they come due or, or whatever. And like the last one I just refied, I did 12-year fixed. That's actually on the high end. Uh, I have to pay a little more interest for that, but it's a big insurance, uh, insurance policy for me that if there is a downturn, and the value of my property goes down, even if the rents are still working and the cash flow is still working, but if the value goes down, it's an insurance policy for me that I don't have to come out, out of pocket or potentially even have trouble refinancing it in five years when we might be in a downturn. You know, I got to 12 year runway and I can do something between now and then. So yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> so that, that's, uh, that, that's the biggest thing that I, I generally focus on and I would recommend for others. Nice, I love it. So Scott, thank you for sharing all these lessons today. You've been very successful as an investor over the last 14 years, got out of your W-2, built a great portfolio, and sounds like you've got a lot of great things ahead of you. If folks want to learn more about you and your business, where can they get in touch with you? Sure. The easiest way is on my website, which is bonvolo.com. And that's spelled B-O-N-V-O-L-O.com. And one there is my direct email and my phone number and other information. So if anybody would like to reach out, uh, happy, happy to talk to them. Great. It's been a great time talking to you today. Uh, and I'm sure people got a lot of information out of it. If they you know missed the link, it'll be in the show notes. So if you don't want to punch it in, just check out the show notes and it'll be in there. And uh, thanks once again for joining us today. Thank you, Taylor. It was fun. Fun talking with you. So everybody, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review and iTunes is a very big help. If you know anyone that could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the fold. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.